Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless, and if at all possible, find the obvious buried in the absurd. Let's get to it. Time to take care of business as we do every Saturday right here on the Life 2.0 podcast. I called this particular iteration of my radio work 25 years plus Life 2.0 because the objective, don't know if I always get there, but the objective is, is to raise things up a little bit, find a little higher ground, get out of the old muck and mire and stick our heads up, take a look around and see what's going on. And the conversations that I have on this show, which are usually just me talking to myself, um, those are pretty good. But I got to tell you, when I have a chance to have a guest on, it's even better. So I would estimate and guesstimate that since 1997, when I first turned on a microphone, August 27th, 1997, that I've had about 16 to 18,000 guests on in 25 years. I mean, it just racks up exponentially. And you forget a lot of the people and a lot of the names because it all rolls into one giant pile. But there are some names and some people that are unforgettable to me. I can count on both fingers, that's two, the number of people that have stayed in touch with me off the air. There's a little bit more than that, but they're trying to make a point here, so stick with me. But the bottom line is radio is a tough business, and part of our business is to bring information to the masses, as it were. And I knew that when I first started, that was really my goal, inform, entertain, and inspire, if at all possible, in the same show. I don't always get there, but that's the attempt. As I said about these few people that have stayed in touch with me, that's always after the show's over. And most people I never hear from again, and that's okay. Because if I heard from all 16,000 of them, I wouldn't like that very much. But there's just a handful that have really remained close over the years. Some of them passed on. Uh, one of them was Wayne Dyer, who, you know, the godfather and grandfather, or some kind of father of motivation, who, when I was headed to Harpo in 2006 to start creating the Oprah Winfrey channel for XM Radio, uh, calls me from Hawaii congratulates me on on the you know the move up so to speak and then he wanted to know when I was going to be on the air and I said well I'm not really going to be on the air right out of the gate you know they need me to, to coach and to help produce these shows nobody else has done that and he says well you need to be on the air and I said well yeah I know that and you know that but you know it'll come in time he goes I'm calling Oprah that's it I said don't call Oprah Winfrey I'm not even there yet don't start rocking the boat no you need to be on there so this goes back and forth and he assured me that he wouldn't call Oprah so a year goes by, and he's doing a book called Living the Tao. And we had created a, a series on Sunday called Super Soul Sunday for Oprah to talk to some of her favorite guests, which was not the usual programming. And Wayne was flying in from Hawaii to do the show and be her guest. And he, he gets to Harpo, our offices were across the street, and he walks in the door, and he has no shoes on, and it's the middle of winter. I thought, <laughs> what the hell's going on here? And I, I walk up, it's great to see you. We have a big hug and we talk for a few minutes. He crosses his legs as he's sitting in front of me at my desk. I said, uh, do you know that somebody stole your shoes? And he's like, I'm living the Tao. <laughs> okay, that means you don't wear shoes? Apparently not. He wanted to be as grounded as he possibly could. How he got on and off the plane, I don't know. So he goes into the studio, they sit down with Oprah. And at that point, the radio studio we had was also converted 
uh, for use as a television studio. And I, one thing I learned at Harpo is nothing goes undone, meaning if Oprah has lunch, we film it, right? So here's Wayne Dyer in there filming this series. He's got no shoes on, and she says the same thing. Hey, where's your shoes at? So this goes back and forth. They have a great show. Afterwards, they come out. We're all talking in a little meeting there. And Wayne says, um, you know, uh, John should be on the radio. She goes, yeah, I remember when you called me a year ago. That hasn't happened yet. I thought, he called anyway. Short order of it was is that right after that meeting, I get a phone call to go back on the air. Now, I stated my position as the executive producer, but they added a show for me, which was very nice. But that's the kind of friend that Wayne Dyer was. That's the kind of support that uh, comes from a guy like that. And a guy right alongside of him, who I've known since 1998. I went back and looked at the vast Aurora Media archives. 1998, Steve Rizzo was one of my early guests. And we have stayed in contact for 22 very long years. And uh, he's my guest today. We've got a lot of ground to cover, a lot to talk about, including his new book. And it is the Riz Master himself on a Life 2.0 podcast. That's your cue to talk. Now? Now. Now? Now should I say something? Yes. 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 Uh, boy, you know, as, you're, as you were talking, I, uh, my, whole, my whole soul, every part of me went back in time, uh, especially uh, that time with 9-11. Yeah. When, uh, Wayne, it was what, the day after? It was the and day Wayne, after. Wayne was stranded, I think, in San, San Diego, Diego. Mm-hmm. right? And I was stranded in, with Children of the Corn in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we had a, we had a, uh, you gave a great interview, and you're interviewing uh, Wayne and I. And uh, I'll always remember that. I still have that link that you sent mm-hmm. you. And you even told me that won a particular award that year, didn't it? It? Did, it did, for all the wrong reasons, right? I mean, you know, we would rather not done that show, no offense. I, you know, and the interesting thing is, on 9-11-01, Wayne had a book come out that was titled, and still is, There's a Spiritual Solution to Every Problem. Yep. And he, that book came out on 9-11. He was booked for 9-11, no pun intended. And uh, it took until the next day to everything settle down a little bit. And we took a huge risk, Steve, because we had Wayne on who's basically saying, look, this is a horrible, terrible thing. What part did we play in it? Yeah. And you can't start saying shit like that the day after 9-11. But he did. And then you came in because you were booked already. So we figured let's put you two guys together. And you were booked to talk about how to use humor through the worst times in our lives. So it was a perfect storm, so to speak. Well, it was, yeah, it was perfect timing for us to be together because he wrote a testimonial for my first book ever becoming a human being and 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 Wayne was coming from the perspective as far as 9-11 was concerned that there is a spiritual solution to every to every problem and uh, I was coming from a, a different point of view but yet it was laughter is part of the spirit and I was saying no matter how tough this is going to be for us each and every one of us has to take time out to find the laughter in between and even during the tough times. And we talked about that. And um, I just thought it was just a well-rounded interview because you always ask the pertinent questions and stuff. And uh, it was just something I'll always remember because, you know, he's, he's what? He's, (laughs) everyone always looked up to Wayne Dyer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's irreplaceable. You know, I think one of the things I appreciated most about him is that he never pretended to be the source. He was always the teacher. You know, all these books that he wrote, he comes out quite frankly and says, I'm taking these from 
you know, the ancient teachings of fill in the blank. And I'm translating this for you in a way that you can understand because that's, I think, what great teachers do. It's what you do. You take very difficult situations in life of which you are very intimately connected to, as we all are in our lifetimes, and you're able to translate that and say, find the humor here and take the edge off a little bit. But before we get into the, the new stuff you've been doing, I don't know that I've ever asked you this. Where did it come from in you growing up at some point that there was something that must have sparked in you that says, I, can, I should go in this direction? You have a lot of opportunities, smart guy, even though a guidance counselor said you'd never make it in college, proving that they're not fortune tellers. But where's the early spark for you in all this? Uh, as far as being a, a personal development speaker, is that what you mean? Well... Yeah, but I mean, even before that, that you knew you could make a difference. I mean, you know, uh, we'll talk about the book in a second, but was there something that, that kind of tripped your trigger? It was a long quest, but I think the thing that really sparked it when I was, you know, I did stand-up comedy for 25 years, and um, something started happening to me. It was, when I first did it, I, you know, I'm really funny, and I know that, and it was always a blast making hundreds and hundreds of people in, in, a, in an audience laugh, and... Um, something started shifting and there were times when as I was giving my performance I was well aware that there were people in the audience experiencing challenging times of some kind maybe they were going through a divorce maybe they were having financial difficulties maybe they or a loved one were inflicted with some kind of illness but for that hour that I was on stage their challenges and their problems didn't own them simply because they took time out, they allowed themselves to take time out to find the laughter in between the tough times. And I, I just started, oh, it, that always sent me, when I got off the stage, I would just start writing things down. And I remember I wrote, laughter is the pit stop in the rat race of life, mm. and that it gives you enough emotional fuel and repairs to get back into the race again. But the initiative and the proficiency by which we allow ourselves to laugh comes from what I call your humor being. And John, you know, I know, I believe in this with all my heart. Everyone on this planet has a humor being within them. And uh, unfortunately, most people go their entire lives never knowing they have this power. Mm. Your humor being is of your higher nature. It's a part of you that brings out the best in you when times get really tough. I'm remembering a very sad event in my life that turned, I had not thought about this before in all the conversations we had. Uh, when a friend of mine passed away, uh, high school friend and even a grammar school friend, neighborhood guy and all that kind of stuff, he died pretty early and young for, for, uh, for the most part. And uh, at his funeral in Wake, we were all sitting there and the, and the minister's up there giving his spiel and all that stuff. And um, my friend Bubba was known for breaking the wind, let's say that, part in the sea, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Burning the church, <laughs> scorching the porcelain. So, <laughs> so three or four of us had bought whoopee cushions, and we thought we would we would do this at some point, and we but we never coordinated what some point that would be, and so the whoopee cushions were in place, and his dad was really taken to heart. He had already lost a brother and his wife, and so his dad was really 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 sad, and um, a humble man who you know just doesn't know what the hell's going on, and the. I can't remember the, exactly what the minister said. Something about, you know, he, the whole he's headed to another better place where everything is clear and and good. And one of the guys just brap just figured that was the time <laughs> to push his cheek down on the whoopee cushion. And then we all took it as a sign to follow. Brap brap brap. 
and oh, his God. dad busted up laughing because oh. everybody there except the minister who never knew my friend that's usually how yeah. it works uh they they all knew what this is about and it was so funny it just totally turned it in a different direction all of a sudden while we were sad that he was gone we were so effing glad that he was here wow a lot of yeah. fun yeah. I get that. I get that. As a matter of fact, that reminds me of something that happened to me many years ago when a friend of mine passed away. And, uh, oh, it was a sad thing for everyone. And I remember going to uh, the wake services. And then after that, we went to a f- friend's house. And um, everyone was, you could, as you could imagine, was sad. And some people had a hard time trying to grasp what had happened. But I noticed in, in another room in the den, there were a couple of guys, a couple of friends talking about my friend who passed away. And they were laughing their asses off, telling stories about him. And I came in and I joined in and his wife joined in and uh, uh, her, her brother joined in. And before you know it, everyone was telling stories about my friend and we started laughing. And in the midst of all that laughter, I had this uplifting feeling come over me. And the best way I can describe it, it's, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm writing this story in conversations with Bob too. Um, I could, I, I looked, I called it a, a smile from within. And we all felt it, but it really ignited when in the midst of the laughter, my friend's wife said, you know, I miss him. I, and I know I always will, but Right now, I feel like a part of him mm. is with us and mm-hmm. always will be. And her brother jumped in and said, yeah, it's as if he's saying to us, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- I'm okay. Uh, everything is as it's supposed to be. And um, it was just, it was just a great, it was a great feeling. And, and the way I looked at it is that um, when you view something like that, they're really Laughter makes you realize that the spirit lives on and we all move on in time. But um, laughter just makes you realize that there really aren't any goodbyes. There are, there are good memories because that spirit that constitutes who we really are just keeps going. And it was our ability to laugh that ignited that sense of spirit in that, in that moment. Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, that's something that is, is so pivotal, obviously, in the work that you've done. Uh, before we get to the book stuff, uh, you know, you were an all-star comedian, stages across the world, uh, opening acts like Drew Carey, who you were roommates with for a while, Rosie O'Donnell, Dennis, Mil- Dennis Mellerman, uh, okay. shared the marquee with Ellen DeGeneres and Rodney Dangerfield, Eddie Murphy, and Jerry Seinfeld. You started your own Showtime comedy special. And then at the height of all that, you leave this stellar stand-up career that you got going. You make a serious left turn in the right direction uh, to become, a, for lack of a better term, which I've never been comfortable with, a motivational speaker to teach people how to be happy and successful no matter what the circumstances. That takes you to a whole other stratospheric level, which is where I met you. And I was looking at this the other day. Uh, the first time you're on, as I mentioned, was 1998. But this book, Conversations with Bob, the first knowing I had of it was December of 2017. You sent me an email and said, hey, you might want to look at this manuscript that I'm, that I'm working on for no particular reason. And I told you this many times, it showed up right when I needed all the reminders that was in the book. Uh, and then it's gone on from there. So the book you're talking about is out now. It's called Conversations with Bob. And uh, it, is, it is unbelievable to me how impactful it's been in people's lives. Let me just read you one of the endorsements here uh, off Amazon, which I think was a better deal when it was just a river, not 
selling shit everywhere. But when Steve Rizzo gave me this book to read, he said there were nuggets that would affect me in a most profound way. Well, Rizzo was wrong, dead wrong. The book isn't filled with nuggets. It's filled with massive run you over, knock you on your ass, slap you upside your head with spiritual two by fours and an avalanche of bold, beautiful boulders of truth. I just didn't read it. I inhaled it more than a few times. Who said that? I said that. <laughs> Not a bad uh, bad deal there. But my point in that was is that even though the book came to me early before anybody else saw it, I was so um, privileged that you'd allow that. And I had an opportunity to work with you on the book for a couple of years. To see where it's gone from there to now is astounding to me. Well, uh, what's, what's amazing to me is that you were, at that time, the only person I sent the book to. I didn't send it to anyone. I was... I was this was such a part of my life. It took me seven years to write, seven years. And um, every time I thought I was finished, Hmm. Bob, which is the name of the book, Conversations with Bob, told me I'm not finished. And uh, for you people that want to know who Bob is, Bob is God. And um, it's, uh, he kept saying, no, you're not finished yet. You you have to experience more stuff. And, um, you know, when I really thought I was finished, and you helped me with that too. Mm-hmm. You gave me some good advice, and you, you, you made some critical suggestions throughout the process, which is why there are no coincidences in life. Right. You, know? uh, we, you, you said it at the beginning that we've been close for, for so many years, and uh, it's not that we talk on the phone all the time or connect, it's that when we do, we both need each other at that moment. Correct. It's you always know? been that way. I remember a time many years ago, I think it was right when I had... Right after I donated a kidney to my daughter in 2002, and I went off the air for a year, and I was just in the shits. You know, I'm thinking, you know, it was obviously the right thing to do. It saved my daughter's life and and, and had her keep going. But I had to get my career up for because I was just out of gas. And I remember vividly sitting on my front porch about this time of the year, just down in the dumps, and the phone rings. And it's Rizzo. And what are you doing? And we start talking. And you had no idea, I guess, consciously that I needed to talk to you. But I'll never forget that day sitting out front of my house thinking, you know, I've worked at this for six years. And of course, everything with my daughter had just gone on and I was out of gas and you had me laughing. And it was something about hitting me in the head with a Buick or something. I don't remember, you know, (laughs) get off your ass or I'll hit you in the head with a Buick so hard your mom will die, something like that. But uh, it's those kind of moments that, that I can't forget. So when we, like you said, when we roll around together all these years later, connecting, just like we did this past week, you're on my mind, I'm gonna call you. Next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire, you're on the radio with me again. So it's all good stuff. But before we kind of dig into the book a little bit more, this book in so many ways was written at one of the most difficult times of your life. Oh, yeah. Um, um, and, and that's what I love about life, my life in particular, because my greatest challenges, uh, the biggest mistakes I've ever made have become my greatest blessings because I learned from them. When you learn from stuff like that and you own it, you know what you did wrong, uh, and, and and you learn it. And you, that's the ultimate empowerment. Ultimate empowerment. Uh, this book, it was. I started writing it uh, after uh, a marriage, a divorce that I asked for. I told my wife for 33 years, 34 years we were married. I said I just I, I want to get a divorce, and it was devastating to me to put her through what what, what she went through. Um, but as I Someone asked me, well, if she's so wonderful, uh, why did you leave? That's a story in itself. But all I could say is sometimes doing the right thing can be the most painful thing that you could ever do. Yep. And it, it was ripping me apart. And um, 
one morning, because we were both living in the same house on Long Island, I woke up in the morning and I said, you know what, I, I, something, well, it was God that said it. Bob said to me, uh, you, you, you got to move, you got to get out of the house. And something inside me said, move to California. Um, and I, I was questioning, why, why do I want to go to California? But I knew I had to keep going. I called a couple of friends up and they said they can get me an apartment in Marina Del Rey. I, I made this decision within two weeks I left. My wife thought it was crazy. She said, you got to see a psychiatrist, you got to see someone. It's not that you just want a divorce, you, you're moving to California abruptly. I stayed there for two years and I started realizing the reason why I went there is that I had to face my demons and there are a lot of them. And um, it was one morning uh, after working out at a 24-hour gym near, near Venice Beach, and uh, after the workout, it was like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'm walking on Venice Beach, and that's when I absolutely lost control. Uh, I can honestly tell your listeners that I know what it's like to go out of your mind. I mean, totally, if anyone would have heard me cursing at God and screaming, heart-wrenching tears, they would have thought I was insane. They would have called 911. And in the midst of the laughter, it subsided, and I was heaving, and I took another step, and I said to myself, what the hell is wrong with me, and what am I doing here? And I took another step, and I heard something inside me say, you know what's wrong, and you know why you're here. You're just too caught up in your own drama to find the answer. And I said, what? what, what where's this coming from? And I knew I was on to something. So I got in my car, I drove to my apartment. And as I'm driving, I'm asking another question and another answer's coming. And I was just like a bundle of incredible energy. I went to my apartment, took out my laptop, a pen and a pad. I asked another question, then another answer, another question. And I realized I was talking to God. I was talking to a higher part of myself. This went on for hours. I was exhausted. I left. I went to sleep. I woke up many hours later. I looked at what I wrote and I didn't remember writing half the stuff that I wrote. And then I just kept going. And before you know it, after a couple of days, they said, holy shit, I have a book here. And then my imagination set in and then the storytelling and all that set in. And uh, that was the beginning of the best thing that I ever did in my whole entire life. And this is the reason why I was put on this planet. And I will second all that. And I think people needed to know that because it's important uh, that you know the foundational pieces of writing when you're when you're getting into this. It just there's too much shit out there. It's like the seven spiritual laws to do this and the seven shortcuts to do this. And I don't I don't buy into that unless it's coming from a place of deep uh, experience, not just some theory that you said. Oh, I wonder what would happen if you talked to God. Blah blah blah. So you came out of this place. It was viscerally difficult for you, and and you shared all this with me a few years ago. To go through the process of working on the book with you was also a healing thing for me because you created these two characters, Bob and Bernie. And they have this ongoing conversation that was tailor-made for your talents because you're a stand-up guy and, and a comedian, too. Not just a stand-up guy. You're a good guy yes. and a comedian. I tried to work it together, Steve. It didn't work for me. You know what I'm saying? You're a stand-up guy. Did you get it? <laughs> I think you're beating it to death. I am. I I the horse is dead. So, um, but going through that, I was watching how you created this and where this came from and knowing that it was, you know, you're, it's great, but I know this is out, this is coming from a different place. And th these characters and what they went through was so relatable to me. Bernie, obviously, is the guy who's going through all the, the challenges and ups and downs. And Bernie's basically you in the book. 
it's but I, I realized pretty quickly that it's not just me or Steve, it's everybody who's ever been in these positions and conditions and circumstances, and that would be just about everybody on the planet. Yep, yep, and, and, and that's and that's a good point. Uh, Bernie does represent everyone on the planet, and Bernie is me, but also the healing part of the book is Bob is me too. We all have that God part of us inside of us, that higher part. It's just that your inner Bernie, who lives in the negative zone his whole life, um, he his voice is loud, way louder than the God part of you, the Bob part of you. And But if you acknowledge the Bob part of you gradually and in time, you'll realize that the Bob part of you, there's no comparison, is so powerful, it'll mm. stifle Bernie. It'll just stifle Bernie. Mm -hmm. So that's really what the book is about. It's a dialogue, as you know, between two people. You're in a Bob and you're in a Bernie, and you have a choice as to which one you're going to listen to. And this shows you how not to only connect to your inner Bob, but um, how to communicate. And uh, I have conversations with Bob every day now. Every decision that I make, I say, Bob, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And it may not come to me right away, right. but I, I know you know me. You know, I don't bullshit. It, yeah, yeah. It'll hit me from a bumper sticker, a billboard, a conversation yeah, yeah. that a stranger is having. Or, it'll just click. And then I'll say thank you. And the more you acknowledge this part of yourself, the more it becomes a part of who you are. And uh, your inner Bernie starts getting stifled. And everyone has this inner Bernie. Regardless of race, religion, yeah. creed, social status, everyone experiences Bernie's negative ways in one way or another throughout various stages of their lives. And and that's where Bob comes in because this is, this is what you wrote when you edited it. Bob is the everlasting... Um, uh, antidote to the firewall of fear that your inner Bernie insists is real. I love when you wrote that. I mean, of course, I take credit for it in the book. Well, of course. I love it. Yeah, and I also want to know, did I write uh, uh, or is that you? You were just stuttering. Okay, good. Because I didn't write uh, uh. But, no, you didn't write uh, uh. No. no. That was just me. One of the <laughs> things that I think was paramount in this book, and there's a lot of them, but the first thing that hit me is that Bernie's, let's say, conversion or awakening comes out of him almost dying. And, and then thinking he's dead to a greater or lesser degree. And then the book kind of spells all it out. But you just mentioned about being at, you know, in a gut-wrenching place in Santa Monica. And the thing that's real about this book that hits me right out of the gate was that most time we don't call out to Bob until we're, the shit's hitting the fan. All the rest of the time, our ego's in charge. We got everything figured out. We got all taken care of. But when all the layers get peeled back, like you said, when you're in a divorce or you lose your house or you lose your spouse or you lose your, whatever those losses are, when you no longer think you're in control, that's when we go, please, I need help. And this yeah. book, because of where you wrote it from, has that authenticity to it. And I know, because I've read the reviews on Amazon and other places, how much people are relating to the Bernie journey for lack of a better term, in their own lives. Yeah. Yeah, everyone is on, on some levels. And some people go through various stages of it. Some people's lives are working personally, but their professional life sucks. Some people are having a great professional life, but their personal life isn't good. Some people have a bad relationship with their children, with their boss, with some people, every level, every aspect of life has always been chaotic, full of confusion, with lack of optimism and lack of appreciating uh, a lot of people, most people, especially in this country, have a very, very difficult time 
enjoying the process of whatever it is they're trying to achieve because they're focusing so much on the goal, mm. saying to themselves, I'll be happy when I get this. Right. I'll be happy when I achieve that. And when you do that, you're putting your happiness on hold. And these are the common sense success strategies that Bob calls them, teaches to Bernie. And the, the whole book is a conversation between these two characters. And um, it's life lessons, how to get to a better place personally and professionally. You know, the other thing in this is that it's across the board for people. So it doesn't matter what your particular religious persuasion is or how you express your faith. Because again, once I read these reviews and I'm reading it myself, as a former Presbyterian acolyte kid, uh, you know, I, this all made so much sense to me. It's just a common sense dialogue that is written in plain speak with no big esoteric ethereal for their outs and all that kind of stuff. It is just down to earth and, and, and up to heaven conversation that I just found so refreshing. And so again, for me to work on the first part of this book with you and developing it was just a huge honor. But to see what's happened since then, once again, it comes into play. Like everybody has their piece of the puzzle. And my one of my most favorite pieces of the puzzle, Riz, is the cover shot. Yeah. Remember we found that, so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, because here's what happens when I work with people. And this this particular podcast isn't so much about me working in the publishing business and the book business and all that goes along with it, but it's really working with a friend to help them get where they're going. And my role a lot of times is to be able to see what the person I'm working with can't see. Like you and I, we're going back and forth. And I kept seeing you on the beach when you were yeah. in your most difficult time, but there's no pictures of you on the beach that I know right. of. I could probably buy some on the dark web. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but I couldn't find anything. And one day I come across this picture. It's a silhouette picture of, of, of what you would look like to me on the beach, looking longingly out to the ocean, to the skies. And I thought, oh, that's it. Yeah. I found this woman. I think it was like Nova Scotia or something. I don't even remember what, where she lived. And tracked her down. And it turned out she took that photograph 10 years ago of her son on the beach. Remember wow. this, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, we were able to secure the, the license to use it forever and ever, amen. Uh, but it's those kind of things, I think, that when you look at the pieces of the puzzle, when somebody looks at the book, right away you realize you're in for a ride. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that, but the thing that really, where Bob took over again, because, you know, Bob intervened in that, is that when you take the cover off, this book is just, it looks absolutely beautiful. And that's not me doing it. And that's not me boasting. This is what Bob directed me to do. And I have people calling me up now and, and telling me that they, they keep this book um, on their living room coffee table or on their nightstand next to their bed. And every morning when they wake up, they read one of the high points to remember or just a paragraph from one of the chapters. They don't even sort through it. They just open up the book yep. knowing that they're going to read something that's going to get them through the day. Yeah. And um, when you hear that, when I hear that, it just it reinforces, again, what I was put on this planet to do. And that was to get the message out on the book. And, and, and it's just at the beginning. It's been out three months now, but I'm nowhere near getting this book to where I want it yep, to go. Yep, so. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is too, because this is like the third act for Rizzo, right? So the first one was the whole stand-up comedian thing, which kind of set you up for the second act to do the, the platform speaking thing. This is, to me, and I'm just spitballing here, is like the third act where you're taking the experiences of the first two lives you've led to really make this third piece work in a big way. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I'll even take it another step. There was another step because I was a teacher and a counselor for kids with behavioral problems, too. 
and that teacher part of me was always with me. And uh, when I went into stand-up, I realized something was missing in my life after doing it for so many years. And the teaching part was stifled, so to speak. So then when I went into the motivational field, the, the personal development field, I was able to use my sense of humor and the teaching aspects of myself. And then I started writing, and now all of a sudden I'm at a, a level where the gifts that, that Bob gave me are, are just working simultaneously together. So, so, so this will be your new your new platform, your new curriculum. Will be Bobisms. You're gonna yeah. go. You're gonna go out. I mean, I can see it. I know. And part of this is coming out of the pandemic, where a lot of the the speaking platform stuff was pushed to the side. But now, as things are ramping up again, I mean, are you planning at some point to make this like a tour that you're going to be doing, talking about the book and all all that's in it? Yeah. Well, I have a uh, I have a streaming podcast now that's uh, that's doing quite well it's hey i'm talking here it's every other you gotta say it like you're supposed to say it it's hey i'm talking here (laughs) hey hey what's the matter with you listen to the show what you don't got a brain (laughs) so uh and it's really good it's with my co-hosts uh debbie bettendorf and eric bam and uh, now uh, Debbie Bettenoff and I right now also are going to create another podcast, and we're going to call it the Conversations with Bob Book Club. Ah, oh, um, good idea. Yeah, that's going to be pretty cool. And um, so I'm getting the message out as in, in many ways as I can. And uh, I have some other stuff that I'll tell you after this interview because I don't want to say it in front of everyone yet. Uh, but it looks like it's going to happen. Um, it, it's things are falling in place. You know, but you know, I want the audience to know something too, John. And mm-hmm. you were there for me yesterday when I was—I think it was yesterday or the day before—when I was venting again. Yeah. You called because we call each other every now and then to check up to see how the other yeah. one is doing. And you—you you caught me when my inner Bernie was um, <laughs> at a high point. And uh, <laughs> and and you know, sometimes you know that's happening when you do. That's a good thing because you know it's going to pass. But. I think that's another reason why we're friends, because we vent without judging one another. Oh yeah, yeah. And and uh, I I just felt so relieved that I vented, and it was it was probably only a ten minute conversation, but it was all I needed to get back in into the Bob groove again. Mm-hmm. And I want everyone to know that you know we, uh, Bob, Bernie says to Bob in the book. Well, what do you want, Bob? I am human. You did correct me. You did uh, create me, didn't you? I'm human. And and then and Bob says, you know, Bernie, that's the biggest mistake that all humans have made. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, you are more than just human. You are a part of me. Yes, you are human and you should always acknowledge that part of yourself. But there's something greater in you that can meet any challenge head on. And, and that's what people need to know. Because um, some people are on this spiritual quest to better themselves thinking that they have to be positive and optimistic 24-7, 365 days a year. That's bullshit. Your brain would pop if you tried to do that. Yeah. Everyone has shit to deal with. Everyone. The Dalai Lama, Oprah Winfrey, Wayne Dyer had mm-hmm. it, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williams, you name all of them. All the spiritual leaders of all time. Jesus had shit to deal with. And and um, you got to honor that. You you. The worst thing you can do is berate yourself for getting in that zone. The thing is, is you say, you become aware, all right, this happened, I vented, I screwed up, it's time for me to get back into the groove again. And every time you do it, you get back into the groove faster and you're more empowered. That's, it's, that's it's that was very, works. very impressive. <laughs> good, good rant. 
you know, the, the, you're, you're, you're right on this thing where because, you know, we, it, the old saying is you always teach what you need most to learn. And so yeah. you couldn't teach it if you weren't learning it, you weren't immersed in it. And then what happens is you take it to the world and people who have had similar experiences come to you. It's when I think we, you know, I ran into a young woman about two years ago who was listening to this podcast and thought, you know, the sun shines right out of Johnny's ass. I'm like, listen, sister, that's not the case. You know, I've dealt with so much in my life, and she's only 23. I have shoes older than her, right? So, you know, the way she saw me and heard me on the podcast, which I am affirming things in life, it's only because I know what it's like to be non-affirming in life, and I don't want to do that. So as this went on and on, she says, well, what do you think about me getting certified as a life coach? I said, how old are you? Well, I'm 23. And how much is this going to cost you? $750. I said, I got save your 750 bucks, put it in the bank and go live for another 10 or 15 years. Then come back and tell me how qualified you are because it's time that qualifies us in my opinion. And just getting a certification from someone doesn't change the fact that your experience isn't there. And one of the things that shines through this book and all the work you do is your experience, the things you've gone through, the over and unders that you've had to take and to get where you're at. That's what makes all this work for me because there are people who are funny. There's a couple funnier than you. I know you don't believe this. But hey, now like, you start, hey, hey, now you're starting <laughs> to piss me off. And by the way, here's I wish everybody could hear it. When you call Riz's cell, um, and if he's not there, which is 95% of the time, you, you usually get the three stooges. What does that sound like? It sounds like this. <clears throat> hey, Mo, somebody's on the phone. What do I tell them? Well, you idiot, you just tell them Rizzo ain't home. Yeah, and tell them to leave a message after the beep. What beep? This one. Hey, come on, fellas. Quit fooling around. Rizzo's going to be here soon, and we got way to do. <laughs> I've been listening to that for 20 years, and sometimes I'm hoping you don't answer the phone just so I can hear those guys. People do that. They'll call back. Hey, man, it was the wrong number, but I had to call back again to hear it. Hope you don't mind. I'm going to have a couple of friends call you in about five minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. So funny. Listen, Riz, always great to spend time with your brother. If people want to get the book, find out more about you on the net and all that other stuff, how do they do it? Uh, please um, go to yourinnerbob.com, www.yourinnerbob.com. You can purchase the book on Amazon or through PayPal. You'll, you could see four different excerpts from the book that you could read from. There are videos to look at. And uh, you can go to my website, steverizzo.com. Uh, right there, scroll down, look at my entire YouTube channel, my podcast that I'm doing, and all the other stuff that's there. And if you enjoyed the book, and I know you will, uh, I would appreciate a, uh, a, a a review on Amazon. And I, I don't make promises often, but I will promise you this. If you purchase this book, and after you've read it from cover to cover, you will realize how much power you have over every aspect of your life. Mm. Always good to talk to you on and off the air, Steve. Take care. Talk soon. Take care. When I look in the archive of the radio shows that I've done over the last 25 years with a little plus sign, there's thousands of them, obviously, and I maybe have hundreds of them still in storage. I have these four, five, six Rubbermaids that are just filled with cassette tapes, and I don't often know what to do with them. Sometimes I'll listen to them, but the, the effort it takes to uh, take a cassette tape, put it into digital, take all the commercials out, clean up the sound, it's, it's painstaking, and I'm busy with a lot of things. I don't often think about doing that, even though for a while I did like a Throwback Thursday thing with some of the, and I think Steve was one of those Throwback Thursday podcasts today, but I'm telling you, after thousands of shows and thousands of guests and thousands of interviews, there are just really a handful of people that stand out. While they've all brought something to the table, it's the Steve Rizzles of the world and the Wayne Dyers and so many others uh, that 
that have stayed with me. And so the fact that he and I are still talking <laughs> on some level after 20 plus years is, is a testament, I think, to the work that's been done off the air. Because as I said, listen, this is a media business. Uh, it's a platform to get information out. I'm always good with that, supporting people that are doing good things in the world, especially when a book comes out and we want to promote that. Uh, but he's a good guy and, he, and he's been through the ringer and he used that to lift himself back up and then to pass along a book like Conversations with Bob that he took years to write. And, I, and I, he said, I, I saw the first draft of this thing and it's something stuck to me. I needed to see it. And I'm pretty well versed. I've written three of my own books, right? So it takes a lot to move me in one direction or another when it comes to the literary efforts. And I was just struck with this manuscript. I read it over two days, could hardly stop reading it. And so then he brought me on as a consultant to work on the script and, and manuscript and all that pieces and kind of formed it up. And then it kind of went to the next level. So it's just really great to see what it's become for him. And I'm just honored to be a small part of that. And I think that you should as well uh, be a part of it by becoming a reader of his book. Again, it's Conversations with Bob. You can find it on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can go to steverizzo.com and his all his stuff is there. And it is a good thing. You know, as I always say, it's more important to stay in the lifelines than the headlines. It's the Steve Rizzo's of the world that keep those lifelines open. So you might want to spend a little time with it. I think it's going to be something that's really, really good. And I rarely endorse books. I mean, when he asked me to do an endorsement for it, I would do it for him. I probably get 10 a year that people want me to do. I used to do a lot of them. I don't do them much anymore. And there's a couple of reasons for that is because, you know, the stance that I used to take on a lot of this stuff has changed over the years. So I'm just a lot more selective on what I put my name to. And whatever platform I have, uh, I have a deep respect for the people who are connected to this, like the subscribers to this podcast. You know, I have to watch sometimes, not so much the things I talk about, or even the subject matter, because people who are subscribing to this podcast, you know what kind of shit I'm going to get into on a weekly basis. And they're good with that. So this is one of the rare times you'll actually hear me come out and endorse a book and say, listen, Go spend a few bucks, conversations with Bob, a timeless, entertaining dialogue for living an extraordinary life. And you can get hardcover or Kindle edition. Uh, Steve Rizzo is the author, and it is a fantastic read. Something, as he pointed out, you will go back to again and again, just open the book, and there's something in there that will make your life a little bit better. That's the whole freaking idea, isn't it? Until next time, be well, safe travels. Thanks for listening. Adios.